Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Let Me Tell You, a bespoke podcast series from the Irish Examiner with myself, Paul Hosford. In this series, we'll be taking a look at some of the most dramatic moments in recent Irish political history from the unique perspective of one of the key players. This week, we look at a pivotal moment in post-bailout Ireland as hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets to fight against the proposed imposition of water charges. Across two years, a grassroots political movement rose up to force a U-turn on a government policy which defined the early years of the Fine Gael Labour coalition. With me to discuss his central role in all of this is People Before Profit TD for Dublin South West, Paul Murphy. Paul, very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this is a, this is an issue that you've become almost synonymous with. It's defined a lot of your uh, political career. Uh, how much do you remember of it? Yeah, I think I remember a fair bit. I mean, I, I in preparation for this, I leafed through some old articles and research papers and so on just to remember the dates and so on. But um, I mean, it was a very, very major moment in politics, certainly from the point of view of those on the left. So it's difficult to forget, like, you know, the level of mass mobilisation, the street meetings, the water meter protests, the mass protests and the by-election. Um, you know, for us, it's it's still a very important reference point about what, what can happen. So let us, let us set the scene of what things were like back in 2013 when Irish Water was established. So, Minister, could you just tell me about the decision to establish Irish Water and how it's going to reform water services in Ireland? This is a very big decision that the government has made today, establishing Irish Water and, you know, asking Board Gosh Aaron to become the, the people that will roll out this project over the years. We want good quality water, a lot of good volumes of water. It's costing a lot of money to treat it, one billion euro at the moment. So we need to have efficiencies and we need to have a better way in which we roll out this particular essential product, water. They've been described as the biggest protest in Ireland for years. Tens of thousands of people took to the streets of Dublin crying foul over plans new water charges. Until now, water has been funded by general taxation. The new charges are part of government austerity measures to help Ireland repay its international bailouts. Water pressure will be turned down to a trickle uh, for basic human health reasons. Uh, and uh, obviously that won't be too attractive for them. Taoiseach, I would suggest that your government is already out of touch. Question, please. You don't have a clear and detailed plan on how water metering is going to work. This has been a shambolic and farcical um, uh, situation. There are no detailed costings, no detail on exemptions, no details on how the government expects to put water meters into every household by 2014, which will actually mean 4,000 per day. All of the protesters that I have seen before uh, seem to have extremely expensive phones, tablets, uh, video cameras. We don't want your meters here. Irish water here is clear. We don't want your meters here. Irish water here is clear. We don't want your meters So, well, if we go back, all the way back to, to 2011, the, the Fine Gael Labour coalition comes, comes to power, the Environment Minister, Phil Hogan, starts the process of setting up Irish Water. You were with the, with the Socialist Party, you were an MEP. How quickly did you realise that, that there was a, a, both a social and a political issue with water charges? 
Um, quickly, I mean, you know, the, the high point of the Socialist Party previously had been um, the campaign against water charges successful in the late 1990s. Um, and in the aftermath of that, it was that, like, you know, radical left had their first electoral breakthrough with the election of Joe Higgins. Um, so we understood the importance of water as an issue and these kind of double taxation type measures, as people would have kind of properly referred to them uh, then. And um, we'd been through the bin charges in the early 2000s, which had ended in defeat, but vindication in the sense that what happened happened. We, we had predicted it'll be privatised, the waivers will go, the costs will go up, all those things happened. And I think also kind of set the scene for the water charges in terms of not believing the government's promises. Um, then we went through the household tax, which was a major campaign against. Um, but then that was ro- and that was like quite successful in terms of opposition to it. But then the government rolled that into the property tax revenue, were able to take it from people's wages and that effectively completely undermined uh, the campaign. So we, we knew that this was going to be a potentially very important campaign and that it had the potential to be the lightning rod for all the accumulated anger, discontent at the bank bailout, at all the austerity measures, um, effectively because it was going to be an issue where people would feel more power than usual. If they cut the health service, if they cut education, it's a difficult thing to fight back on. You can, you can fight back on it, you should fight back on it, but in the sense the water charges was easier for people. People didn't have to reclaim their trade unions. People, people could simply refuse to pay, you know, in a very simple way. Obviously, they needed to do more than that. So we therefore identified water's obviously essential for people, it's essential for the reproduction of social life. Um, and... Uh, and it's, it's something that people can potentially quite easily fight on. So we had an idea that this could be a major issue. There is a sense now, looking back, that perhaps the, the broader public was, was ahead of the media or, and ahead of the, the political uh, establishment, that it was probably um, a bigger issue than was given credit for in the first maybe, maybe 12 to 18 months. Were you finding that there was more interest in this on the doors, as they say, among the grassroots, than there was politically, that it maybe hadn't made the breakthrough yet in that 2011-2012 period. Yeah, I mean, e- even in terms of mass kind of consciousness, mass awareness, it was a bit of a slow burn. I mean, we would have, in the Socialist Party, taken the initiative to begin something like an anti-water charges campaign, I think, I'd have to check, but maybe 2011 or 2012, and then the water charges were quite delayed and that turned into the campaign against the household tax. Like the, first, the campaign against the household tax was known as it was CAHWT, campaign against household and water taxes, but the water taxes never came. Um, and in a way, I mean, we, we certainly front-loaded opposition to the water charges, for example, in the local and European elections in 2014. For example, the Socialist Party, we changed our name so we'd appear on the ballot paper as Stop the Water Tax Socialist Party. Um, and in general, we didn't get a huge amount of traction. That's the truth at, at that time. Um, there was the beginnings then of anti-water meter protests. The first ones would have happened around uh, in April of, of that year. But I, I do think actually the dominant mood for most of that year for ordinary people was you talk to them about the water charges, they'd say, we agree with you, we're against the water charges, but sure there's no point, we're going to lose, look at what happened to the property tax, look at what happened to the bin tax. There was a bit of a demoralised mood amongst ordinary people at the start. And even at the very start of when we were campaigning for the by-election, which would have been in September, uh, maybe late August, September 2014, there was still a fair bit of that and something kind of changed quite rapidly whereby people began to get a sense this is something worth fighting on, this can be a major issue. Um, and I think I think an important factor was the government began to talk up economic recovery at that time. Um, and that kind of gave people confidence 
to look around and to say, wait a minute, there's no recovery for me. There's a recovery for the very rich. Um, and you're saying there's a recovery, but you're still proceeding with these sort of austerity measures, which are linked to there not being a recovery. So I think something around kind of August, September kind of switched and all of a sudden and quite rapidly things were on and people had a sense that this is a fight worth engaging in. If we just thought back to 2013, that was when metering actually started and metering itself was, was very uh, very controversial. We heard a clip there of of uh, protesters in a housing estate. Uh, you, you saw it pop up pretty much wherever uh, Irish Water or SiteServe staff went. Uh, how much was the Anti-Austerity Alliance a reaction to, to that and how much did it drive? What was the, I suppose, what's the chicken and the egg there between the Anti-Austerity Alliance and the, and the, the metering protests? Yeah, I mean, the Anti-Austerity Alliance effectively came out of the defeated campaign against the household tax and property tax and was a move basically by the Socialist Party to say, OK, the people who are around us, we should form a, a broader left political organisation um, to fight the local and European elections, for example, in 20, or the local elections in 2014. Um, but I, I think the anti-water meter protests overwhelmingly arose spontaneously, weren't linked to any political party. Um, this was kind of real grassroots organisation. And that's a, whole, a big feature of the, of the anti-water charges movement and marks it out as quite different than the bin charges campaign in the early 2000s or the anti-water charges campaign in the late 90s in the sense of the level of organic grassroots organisation was significantly bigger this time around. Um, and that the, the water meters, in a sense, they provided a focal point. You know, these people were coming in to install these meters that were about imposing austerity. And again, quite simply, you could do something about it. You could stop them installing the water meters. So you had the mushrooming of like Facebook groups. Every little estate would have, you know, Kingswood says no to water charges. Kildamana says no to water charges right across the country and linked to that. And again, interestingly, you know, this is coming from below the idea of street meetings. We, we don't really have a culture of street meetings in this country because uh, because of the weather, you know, but but people would find rather than kind of the main way the left would organise traditionally is you do a meeting in the pub or you do a meeting in the community centre, people come in. But it's, it's, it's a higher barrier to entry there for people. You know, you a lot of particular women with kids, you know, the idea of going to a meeting which might last a couple of hours, whereas this idea of a meeting in the green in the centre of the estate that you can come down to for half an hour, get the key information on what's happening, what you can do about it, what the next steps are, they kind of just mushroomed. And then, in fairness, the left learned from that and, and rolled that out across the country as well. So we go forward to October 2014, there was a very significant day for you, you personally, before for the, the campaign. We, we have a listen to your victory speech. So in May of 2014, you lost your seat in, in Brussels, but Brian Hayes' election to Brussels allowed you a chance at the at the by-election. By-election wasn't called until the, the end of the summer or early September. So you kind of had a, a race into into the October. 
was it easy enough for you to base a campaign around water charges such was the feeling particularly in that constituency? Yeah. I mean, the, the campaign became a referendum on water charges. Um, and not just on whether water charges are good or bad, but on what the best way to fight water charges is because it was a, it was a contest really between ourselves and Sinn Féin. Um, if that hadn't have happened, we wouldn't have won. You know what I mean? That's just, we were, I mean, our our aim going into the campaign was let's have a credible performance here let's put ourselves kind of in the picture for the next general election at the outset of the campaign we didn't have the idea that we could win whenever we I mean I remember giving a speech to the party about preparing for the election how well we could do and so on but it was based on having a good result putting ourselves in position but then when things turned in kind of mid-September maybe and you know, there became to be a very deep attitude against the water charges, then all of a sudden it became clear, okay, we could do a lot better than we expected here. And even on a very good day, we could we could win. Um, and, you know, what was remarkable, I mean, I think 57% of people voted for either Sinn Féin or the Anti-Austerity Alliance in that campaign. 57.2. Very good. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a huge growth in the vote of the left at the previous general election. We in the Socialist Party would have gotten, I think, 5%. We got 27% first preference votes in this, but also a huge vote in the growth in a huge growth in the vote of Sinn Fein. Um, but really, and this is what was unique in a sense that it it wasn't Sinn Fein would also say the water charges were bad, but the question was who was more committed to fighting them and who had the best methods to fight them. Um, and we were able to criticise Sinn Fein quite mercilessly and bluntly um, because at the start of that campaign, Pierce Doherty had given an interview where they said that water charges wasn't a red line for them in terms of forming a future uh, government. Um, then they kind of, under pressure from us, they kind of suggested that it probably was a red line for them. But then we were able to draw out the fact that not only were they not calling for people not to pay, which we thought was a crucial part of the campaign to defeat mass non-payment, but they were also going to pay themselves. So famously, I mean, a few days before the election, Jerry Adams, Mary McDonald, they all came out to say, we're paying our water charges. And we were able to use that very effectively to say to people, look, these people are paying the water charges. We need to have a campaign of non-payment to defeat it. And I think that that won it amongst, um, you know, many people who would have previously looked towards Sinn Féin that that isn't the kind of opposition that we need. You you touched on the, the percentages there. The, the government parties didn't break 20% of first preferences. Now it's a, it's a by-election that, that normally happens for, for government parties. But yourself and, and Sinn Féin's Carl King were, were up around 60%. Did your opponents uh, sense, was there any sense of surprise from them that, that, that were, were they maybe blindsided by just how big this issue had become? I, I think everyone was blindsided by it. Um, including us in a sense that we didn't expect it to become this big. We, we thought we were right to focus on the water charges. Um, but particularly Sinn Féin, they spent the first half of the campaign saying, you know, why are these people going on about the water charges? The main crisis is X, Y, or Z, and trying to talk about other things and didn't didn't get it until too late that they needed to swivel. Um, I think it, it kind of came to the attention of the wider public and the media and kind of the wider public through the media that, something strange was happening here in the context of there was like a fake Facebook post made by a Sinn Féin activist, um, supposedly from me, saying, oh, don't worry, I know we won't defeat the water charges. It's just a cheap political ploy kind of thing. And it was shared by prominent Sinn Féin activists. And we were able to expose that as false. um, And it kind of highlighted the panic within Sinn Féin's ranks that things were slipping away from them towards us. We heard an opinion poll uh, which had us very close to to them, and then kind of coming up 
the last couple of weeks of the campaign was interesting for us because we were focused on building for this big protest on the 11th of October and we were focused on building for the for the by-election. And in a sense, both of them came together. So we would have, it was a very peculiar type of election, you know. It's a bit like people criticise Jeremy Corbyn for having big mass rallies, where it's like, well, surely you should be out knocking on doors, convincing the unconvinced. And we were focusing on having street meetings, organising people, knowing that if you mobilise people and organise them, they in turn become your advocates in the community. Um, and so it, it was very, I mean, I remember in the final, the day before the election, I think we knocked on every door. I think no, Sinn Féin, first of all, knocked on every door in West Halla, which was going to be a crucial area because that was where they had their strongest base. So every vote we could win from them was like a six-pointer. And then the next day, on the day of the election itself, or the day after, um, maybe, maybe it was, they were two days before, we were one day before, we knocked on every door in West Halla. Like, so it was a very, people had a sense that this was going to be us or them. Um, and yeah, things became honed in on that. So uh, you, you touched on it there, but meanwhile, you're in a, you're in a community centre counting votes and tens of thousands of people are on the streets. So you're over in a, in a community centre in Tala. Votes are being counted. You're about to become a TD. But at the same time, tens of thousands of people, far above what was expected, marched from, from Parnell Square to, to government buildings. Was it then, did, did that moment crystallise it for you? Did you, like, did you say, we're, we're onto something here? Uh, how, how big was the, was the rally against the election or, or were they kind of taken in the round? Yeah, I think they, I mean, it was no accident in the sense that they came together. It epitomised what was happening. Like, I think often kind of establishment political commentators would say that the water charges, the main thing that defeated the water charges was the kind of official thing is we won the by-election, that moved Sinn Féin on water charges, that in turn moved Fianna Fáil, and then the writing was on the wall. But I, I think of the two things that happened on the 11th of October 2014, the protest was more important. But both of them came together and reinforced each other. Um, I suppose we got a sense, which again, isn't in the kind of official narrative. There was a protest organised by, I think it was Dublin Says No, a kind of very unorganised group from below. The left wasn't involved in it, or the organised left wasn't involved in it, the trade unions weren't involved in it. A few weeks before that, I'd say towards the end of September, like, and, and they'd have been having protests of like kind of 40, 50 people for ages. And then all of a sudden they had thousands of people on the street, like two or 3,000, which is not... It's not nothing. Sometimes when you organize a protest, 3,000 people, you're happy enough. When it compares to 100,000, and that kind of indicated, oh, something big is happening here. So that also gave us confidence in terms of the by-election and that this protest is going to be very big. I actually, I was trying to think about it now. You see, it had been agreed with Right to Water, who organized the protest. They knew that either us or Sinn Féin were going to win the by-election. It was agreed that whoever won would speak at the protest. And so I actually... I went, I, I, as far as I remember, I drove to get into town to speak at the end of the protest, but like you just couldn't get anywhere close to it and then I was in danger of missing my own election. So I, at a certain stage, I had to just turn around. So I'm fairly certain I missed that major protest precisely because, but I was on the way to it. Then I had to turn around and get back for the, the count. The decision then was made to kind of keep these going, keep the pressure going. There was a, there was a day of action on the 30th, uh, 100 or, or, or so around the country. Were you ever concerned that the public would just drip away, that it would be this one mm-hmm. outburst of anger on the 11th of October and then, you know, people would get it out of their system and, and go back to paying water charges? 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was about turning this spontaneous anger mobilization into something more permanent in terms of an organized campaign and particular, particularly around the idea of non-payment. And we tried to use, okay, now we have this position, which is going to be, you know, everybody knows we won this position because of the water charges. It makes me a very high profile person on water charges. And so like with the, the speech in the, in the after being elected there, you know, the emphasis on self-organization, building confidence of ordinary people, that became the kind of mantra. Um, and so quickly, I think it was the 1st of November 2014 was the day of local protests, but maybe it was the 30th, but a few weeks later was like in a regional protests. Um, and again, that was massive, hard, much harder to count. You can count to the 11th of October, you can say, okay, around 100,000 people. Um, but, you know, kind of estimates for the 1st of November are somewhere between 100 and 200,000 people. Like I remember, say, in Dublin Southwest, there were at least two very substantial protests. There was one at the Walkenstein roundabout where people came from all different directions, from different local campaigns, came together. It was huge, just in every direction you'd look. And I, I came there from another protest involving thousands of people in Tala, and that was replicated across the country. So I think, yeah, by that, by that stage we knew, geez, this is this is the largest social movement that we've seen in a very, very long time. And it has... It looks as if it has the energy to continue and to continue into a phase of non-payment, which will be crucial coming the, the following year. How much was the campaign helped by the government's handling of, of the situation you had? If you go back, if you just take some of the things from, from 2014, you had John Tierney's uh, RT interview and then his his appearance at the uh, Oireachtas committees where they touched on the, the, the size of the consultants' fees that were going to be paid to, to set up... Um, Irish Water, you had Phil Hogan's down to a trickle comment. You had uh, John Burton's uh, the the iPhone uh, comment, and, and then you had a, a cabinet uh, split on on the issue where Labour kind of tried to put distance between themselves and and, and the idea. So, so, were you uh, as a political mind, were you thinking these are all really easy tap ins? Yeah, I think they definitely helped us. No, no question. Um, but I, I do also think, to be honest, they could have played it perfectly from a PR point of view but like if the bottom line thing was they were going to try and charge people for water um they were going to have real difficulties when it came to that so i did think like like it's true that they made repeated errors those were forced errors in a sense because they were coming under pressure from below this was becoming a major political uh, issue um and their own arrogance and so on i think you know it definitely played into the hands of the campaign but i would say in a like a hypothetical world where they don't make those kind of mistakes i think you still see roughly the same kind of protest movements and so on. There was a revised scheme announced in the November. Yeah. Uh, your opposition continued after that. Why didn't you take the win? <laughs> because we knew we could get a full win because it was a sign that the government was really on the on the back foot so that they announced they announced basically it was going to be a flat rates charge. So previously the whole thing was this is about consumption, we'll get the water meters in, etc. Now all of a sudden it's a flat rates charge of 260 or 160 and then we'll give you 100 euros just off, supposedly for conservation measures, but we're not going to check whether you're actually doing any conservation measures. So it was a sign that the government was in 
retreat on the issue. Um, if they'd succeeded in getting that in, let's say we had said, ah, sure, that's not bad. People can, maybe, maybe most people can afford that. Well, then right now we'd have water charges of a thousand euros for an average family or something like that. That would have been the starting point. So definitely, you know, there was no section of the campaign that said, oh, let's let's take our victory. Instead, the mood of everybody was, okay, now we really have them on the run. I, I think it did embolden people further. It gave people more confidence that something, you know, we, we can actually defeat this. Um, yeah. But that win came just in advance of, of the events in Jobstown, uh, maybe a couple of weeks later. Well, uh, it was very difficult and it was certainly uh, an experience that I wouldn't like anybody to have to go through. And um, certainly for myself and Karen, I think um, those particular three hours in the two cars and uh, the crowds beating on the car and everything like that, I think it'll remain with us always. That day in, in November 2014, Jobstown did the graduation from Oncosa on the, the Adult Education Centre. Talk me through what you what you remember eight years later. Yeah, we, we heard um, kind of hints that she Joan Burton was going to be at this graduation. There was a local says no campaign, and we heard oh they're probably planning to organise a protest. Um, we didn't really know much more than that, and to be honest, I had forgotten about it. Then I remember we had a national committee meeting of the Socialist Party. I was in the Socialist Party offices and we heard, oh, she's out there. There's a protest developing. So it was you know, a spontaneous protest of some of these kind of says, says no groups uh, locally. Um, I remember then heading out to the protest. When I arrived, um, I'm trying to remember, was she already... No, I think I think she must have been finishing up the graduation at that point. Then then she came around to like there was there's a church, it's a community centre and a church basically beside her. She moves from one to the other. Um then at some stage, then then she gets into the car. She gets it yeah, she gets into the car. There's a sit-down protest behind her. Um basically, I mean it started off at probably 50, 60, 70 people by the time I arrived. And then it became, in, in many ways, it was like an anti-water meter protest in the sense that there was a focal point of anger, of austerity, of cuts to lone parents, of cuts to community centres, of water charges. And it became, like, it grew and grew and grew, whereby, like, now, like, if you go around Jobstown, it's a bit like 1916, like, everybody is there, you know what I mean? They couldn't all have been there, but, like, everybody was there. Um, but genuinely, there was 500, 600, 700 people there as the day went on. It was a Saturday, you know what I mean? So people were were, were free to be there. But uh, I suppose the, the difference between the water meters protest is that while there's a focal point, there were two people inside a car for three hours, Joan Burton and her, and her advisor, Karen O'Connell, John Burton said that she was quite frankly terrified. Uh, a court heard that Karen O'Connell was was very upset, uh, began to cry during it. Do you regret how the day played out uh, after you arrived? No, I don't. Um, I think that um, me, other members of the Socialist Party, played a very productive role on the day. That's the truth, is that the thing was very disorganised when we arrived there. It was very spontaneous and so on. And we helped to, with others, people who weren't members of any political party, activists from other organisations or just ordinary community activists, many of whom were then later put on charge, put, were charged with an arrested false imprisonment and so on, put on trial. Um, we, we helped to give it a shape to make it more of an organised protest. Um, 
you know, with chanting, with marching, with sit down, the things that are more traditionally associated with a protest. Um, there, there were things that happened on that day that obviously I don't agree with. Um, there was, you know, there was kids throwing eggs at the yeah, car. Yeah, there was we, an egg thrown. Exactly. Uh, and we, I went over to kids who were throwing eggs and don't be throwing eggs. You know what I mean? And other people in the community did. That wasn't what the protest was about. You feel that there was no, I suppose, organised uh, element to it. There was no, uh, anything that was done, eggs thrown, that was kind of... Almost... That wasn't by protesters. That's not stuff I'm standing over. That was by kids, you know? That wasn't, that's not stuff that we're in favour of or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I think like, you know, when you devastate local communities, you know, you have a real impact on people's lives. The idea that like, okay, sitting in a car for two and a bit hours or whatever is so devastating, but it's okay to cut people's supports. It's okay to devastate social services. It's okay to impose austerity taxes and to like impact on people's lives. I think there's a real problem sometimes in how some of that is discussed without that broader societal context. There's a reason that people were angry and it was because, you know, just like now in terms of the cost of living crisis, people were finding it extremely hard uh, to get by and the Labour Party and Joan Burton as the leader of the Labour Party were really associated with, look, they stood for election in 2011 on the basis of, um, you know, our way or Frankfurt's way and then they went 100% Frankfurt's way and I think it's understandable that people were chanting traitor and they felt that they betrayed the election promise that they made, the idea of you know, again, but before Sinn Féin, Labour would have had a big base in West Tala. Pat Rabbit would have got big votes in, in West Tala. People felt really betrayed by the Labour Party. The, yourself and yourself and five others were, were found not guilty in 2017. So it was, it was long time, quite, yeah. long, quite a long time later. It was, it was a lengthy, lengthy trial. Do, do you think that the fact that it was found to be legal, do you think what was it? So you, you think what, was, what happened on the day was, was right, was justifiable? Yeah, I think people have their the right to participate in protest, um, the right to peaceful assembly, the right to have sit-down protests and so on. And, you know, the, there was a very dangerous precedent being attempted to be made, which is to say, if you sit down in front of a car, you're falsely imprisoning that person. Like, that's what we were charged with. We were charged, it's the same offence of kidnapping. If I grab you now, put a gun to your head, take you away somewhere and ransom, that's, I would be charged with the same thing that I was charged with uh, then. So that was very, very dangerous. It was a very serious attack on the right of people uh, to protest. Um, I think the point I was going to make earlier is that like, I think there was a conscious attempt. The government was under huge pressure. They had a sense that, you know, people who support Fianna Gael are going on these protests. So there, there was an attempt then to kind of split the protest movement. Um, they would talk about the sinister fringe. You know, I think it was Varadkar who first used the it term was, sinister fringe. Um, and versus the kind of reasonable people and basically they attempted to, to like whip this up say look this is what these protesters are about they're dealing about kidnapping people and you know there was various other stories about the sinister fringe and I think they decided we'll try and use this to split the anti-water charges movement to kind of break the radicals from the mainstream I don't think it worked but I think that kind of explains why you know loads of sit-down protests have happened loads of times in front of loads of cars People, no one has ever been charged with false imprisonment before, but it happened this time. Do you worry that that, that period in, in Irish politics was was quite personalised? Um, John Burton came in came in for a lot of it, partly based on the on, on the iPhone. People were calling her iPhone Joan. It became kind of a, a meme around the internet. There was a lot of anger towards the president for for signing into into law uh, certain austerity era legislation. 
there was an incident with, with yourself, or many an incident with yourself in Endicani, but there was one where he told you where to go and, and the doll was suspended after Roisin Shortall uh, took up your corner on the issue. Do you, do you worry that that period in Irish politics made it easier for things to be personalised across the board? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, I suspect that politics has always been somewhat personalised in the sense that people hold certain ideas and are identified with those ideas. Um, I definitely don't think, you know, nobody should be insulted about, you know what I mean, things that aren't politics, about their looks, uh, about their gender. Um, do you know what I mean? We, we should, nobody should go there. Um, it should be a debate about politics. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure if that if the water charge is particularly more personalised things than previously. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it. You know what I mean? I'm open to the idea that here's the evidence that like this was then and this is afterwards. But I think there's always a certain personal element in politics, unfortunately. Um, and I don't think, like, I, I think if you look at, you know, what we said in terms of the left in the doll, we weren't personalized about people. Um, we were about politics. You know, so in terms of that end of anything, that was... We, I would repeatedly go into the doll and attempt to get the figures for how many people had registered and then later on how many people had paid. And that was him telling me to toddle along to the Irish water. There was a briefing in Irish water and they'll tell you. And then we, we dutifully toddled along later on that day and Irish Times, the Irish water wouldn't tell us either. And what was happening then was that we had a real sense that the, water, the registration figures are very bad for them later on, that the payment figures are very bad for them and they don't want to release them. And so once we got a sniff of that, well then... Okay, we're we're all the time looking for these figures because the more people hear that these people won't give the figures, the more people get a sense that okay, I'm not alone here. Because like you have to remember, people who didn't register, people who didn't pay, like you were just a lot of people. I'd say just said okay, I won't pay for now. We'll see what happens. You know, I won't pay. It doesn't mean I can't pay in the future. I, I'm against the water charges, but I'm not going to put myself out. So whenever we were able to establish that, look, a clear majority of people are not paying, that would give people a real sense of of confidence. You had a win, and, and, and that win sustains today. We'll, we'll hear the Taoiseach from last year. No, we won't be going back at that. We won't be reintroducing water charges. But what we have been doing is investing very strongly in water infrastructure, uh, which, again, is part of the housing issue in terms of the wider infrastructure investment that, to be fair to Minister O'Brien and Minister Michael McGrath, have been strong on. And Michael McGrath has allocated additional resources over the last 12 months to uh, Irish water in terms of water infrastructure. The Taoiseach last year... The second the the idea of water charges is put to him, he shoots the idea down. Do you think the campaign was so strong that it, it has essentially made water charges a, a politically poisonous idea in Irish politics? It has made water charges a politically poisonous idea in Irish politics, yes. Um, I still think they're going to come back for water charges. I mean, like officially, we're due to have excess usage water charges. We were due to have them at the start of this year. We were due to have them at the start of the previous year. And we're officially due to have them. I think the latest is by 1st of January next year. I don't see it. Like, I think the government will just find a reason to kick them off again. Um, But, you know, what was ultimately done in terms of the coalition agreement and in terms of the Oireachtas is Fianna Fáil would position themselves as being against water charges of all of a sudden because of the campaign and so on. But they stitched into the final agreement that, okay, these sort of water charges are gone, but we'll have excess usage water charges. And for us, again, that's thin-edged wedge stuff. You start off with a certain reasonably generous allowance for ordinary people, reasonably low price for what you pay above. 
But once you establish the principle that people can pay for consumption of water, well, then there's nothing stopping them. And in fact, they're likely to reduce the ceiling at which charges begin to come into effect to increase the price. Um, so there, there's still a battle to be fought because I think, you know, I mean, water charges in this instance came from the Troika uh, deal. They were stitched in there. Um, and it wasn't an accident. I mean, in other countries that the Troika did deal, they imposed water privatization um, in Greece, for example. So like, I think, you know, the capitalist class, broadly speaking, wants to see water turned into a commodity. Um, the first step of that is charging. The next step is privatization. So I, I think they will be back. You know, I think I'll still be around in politics and they will come back with water charges and they'll try and do it smarter or more aggressively or whatever next time uh, to try to avoid being de- defeated again. That uh, that success in 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 the movement didn't translate to major breakthroughs in twenty sixteen. Was that was that disappointing? Did... Um. Well, I think one like maybe I dispute that a little bit. Um, the the radical left emerged as a national political force in the aftermath of the water charges. Um, we had breakthroughs. We had a parliamentary group, what was then AAA, PBP, um, of six TDs, which was a, was a big breakthrough. Um, and we continue to persist as like, you know, a national factor. In the opinion polls, we're kind of on 3%. Um, whereas previously, the radical left would have been very small, would have had particular bases in particular constituencies. So the radical left emerged to some degree as a consequence of this major social movement. I think definitely that's like, less than we would have liked, um, less than what's necessary. I think we still need to build a mass socialist party in this country to actually bring about the change that we need. Um, I think the reason for that, there's a few different reasons. Um, one, the, the movement quickly subsided once it once we won. Then you had the repeal movement, which was a different layer of people, but also extremely important that the left was you know very intimately um, connected uh, to. Uh, two, I think Sinn Féin, um, was well positioned and was assisted by some of the trade union leaders in the campaign to kind of capitalize on it. So even though they weren't actually a driving factor in the movement, they weren't in favor of non-payment, they were the biggest political force, which was saying clearly we're against water charges. Um, and then I think the fractured nature of the radical left, um, you know, you'd had the breakup of the United Left Alliance a few years before that meant that we weren't particularly well positioned to offer people okay, an alternative. Um, so I think there was a missed opportunity there, no no question. But I just, politics was changed by by that event um, and it hasn't gone back to the way it was before. You touched on it there, politics was changed. Civil life w- was kind of changed because of the grassroots nature of it. It, it showed that non-politically aligned campaigns can have success and the, the, the massive template for that is repeal. Do you think without water charge, like, it's probably a bit of a jump, but do you think without water charges, repeal is, is as strong, is as, is as grassroots as it was? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think certainly water charges helped. I mean, it just, it fed into everything. You know, you wouldn't go on a picket line after water charges without, without it, the water charges being cited as a reason that people felt confident to go on strike, for example. Because it, it just gave people a confidence that if you get organised, if you fight, you can win things. And I think it definitely helped to create an environment for the kind of mass grassroots activism of repeal. In, in general, it was like a different set of people involved in repeal. You know, water charges was older, uh, more community-based. And um, that isn't to say there weren't 
loads of young people involved. Um, and I think women, particularly at a community level, were a driving factor in the water charges. And they were the ones organising the street meetings. They were the ones organising the anti-water meter protests. But I think the water, the repeal movement was in general, if you look at like, you know, activists in terms of the to get a free ass canvases or whatever, were generally younger, were overwhelmingly female. Um, but I, I think it helped to create an environment for it. And I, and I think potentially you had like a really important potential alliance here of, you know, repeal activists, anti-water charges activists, um, and it certainly gave people confidence. And it just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a reference point today. You know, like when I'm going around trying to build a cost of living coalition today, I will say to a lot of people, and it will resonate with them, you know, what we need to have is a water charges style movement on, and people like, yeah, that's what we need. People, it, it means that people can envisage what a major social movement that can win would, would look like. Great. Well, thanks to my guest, Paul Murphy, today for being with us. The podcast is produced by myself, Paul Hosford, and our political editor, Danny McConnell. On sound and editing is JJ Vernon. Join us next time for another episode of Let Me Tell You from the Irish Examiner. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.